Hi everyone, I'm Elizabeth Stein, founder and CEO of Purely Elizabeth, and this is Live Purely with Elizabeth, featuring candid conversations about how to thrive on your wellness journey. This week's guest is Nona Evans, Executive Director for Whole Kids Foundation, a Whole Foods Market nonprofit that focuses on improving children's nutrition and improving community access to healthy food and nutrition education. Whole Kids Foundation is on a mission to improve children's nutrition by supporting schools, inspiring families, and empowering kids to make healthier food choices. As a brand, we've been a supporter of Whole Kids the last few years donating to help build school gardens and salad bar programs. So I'm thrilled for Nona to share all about their important work. In this episode, Nona shares all about being part of a mission-based organization dedicated to building a better world, the lessons she's learned at Whole Foods over the last 21 years, why school nutrition is so important and what the foundation is doing to help, tips for helping kids eat healthier at home, and how love and veggies is all you need. This was such a valuable conversation, and I'm so proud to be helping make a difference in kids' lives. Keep listening to learn more. I'm so excited to share with you our newest product line, Purely Elizabeth Superfood Cereal with Vitamin D. We just launched two insanely delicious varieties exclusive at Whole Foods Market, Vanilla Blueberry Almond and Honey Peanut Butter. Our new cereals are unlike anything in the market. Each box is full of the good stuff, deliciously crispy oat and ancient grain flakes and crunchy superfood clusters with organic oats, quinoa, and chia, intentionally crafted with whole food ingredients to deliver both taste and nutrition. Our cereals are made with organic, plant-based vitamin D3 to provide an excellent source of vitamin D in every serving. They're sweetened with sustainably sourced coconut sugar and provide five grams of protein and an excellent source of fiber in every serving to start your day off right. Plus, they're certified gluten-free and non-GMO project verified. Trust me, this is going to be your new favorite breakfast or late night snack that tastes absolutely delicious in milk and actually stays crunchy. The mix of flavors and textures leave you feeling satisfied and full. So head on over to your local Whole Foods Market and stock up on our new superfood cereals. You'll thank me later. Oh, and from now until September 6th, when you buy our new superfood cereals at Whole Foods, we'll be donating 25 cents to Whole Kids Foundation per product sold for a total donation up to $10,000. Enjoy. No, no, welcome to the podcast. It's such a pleasure to have you on today. Oh, I am so excited to be here in a community of people who respect food. Absolutely. We are definitely foodies. And this topic is really near and dear to my heart, you know, as a company over the last couple of years and going forward, we're supporting whole kids. And so really just diving into that. And then, you know, personally, why we chose that to begin with is as I looked at nutrition, it was always coming back to it starts at a young age and it starts with that education, accessibility, and really all the things that you guys are doing just resonated so much. So I'd love to start diving in with, you know, your personal journey, your background, and kind of what led you to Whole Foods and ultimately to Whole Kids Foundation. Sure. Well, you know, there's really only one thing that I am certain about in my life, and it's that I was born a foodie. Um, (laughs) 
I really, truly, if you did my DNA, it would be all vegetables. Um, I have food on both sides of my family. And I've literally worked at the grocery store my whole entire life, which surprises some people because I don't think they realize how many amazing careers exist in the food business. So from the very first moment I could, I worked at Randall's, which at the time was a family owned chain in Houston that focused on great customer service. And then I spent a decade at HEB, which is Texas's really large regional chain um, where I got to lead marketing and community relations for Central Market, which is a gourmet store. Oh, I love Central um, Market. And, you know, after 15 years of that, I was like, wow, I still work at the grocery store. Huh, maybe I should do something else. So I, I said, you know what, I'm done. And I really wanted to teach. And it took me about three days to realize how broken our public education system was and that I just would not be successful in that system. So I happened to answer the Whole Foods Market phone call and I thought I'll do this for another three years. But, but at that moment, I committed to use every ounce of energy I had available to change our public education system. So 21 years ago, I took the Whole Foods call and it's just a happy convergence that my passion to support our kids happened at the grocery store. I'm so super proud that knowing what I'm passionate about and being willing and courageous enough to say it out loud turned into a really fantastic career opportunity. That's amazing. So when Whole Foods initially called you, what was that role 21 years ago? So most of the jobs that I've had at Whole Foods have been marketing related. If there is a job at the grocery store, I have done it. I can take apart a meat grinder. I was uh, forklift certified at one point. But, uh, you know, when I really started to get to know my skills, it's communications and community relations and marketing. So I was leading marketing for the Southwest region, which was back then all the way up to Colorado and Kansas and over to New Mexico. So just the very best part of the country. Yeah, that's our includes our hometown here in Boulder, Colorado. Yes, I got. Oh, Colorado was my second home. I love it. <sighs> it it's gorgeous. Absolutely. God, so. I mean, we could go on a whole other topic about how Whole Foods has evolved. And that just must be so amazing to be part of an organization for that amount of time and see that growth. And yet I was actually on a call earlier today talk, and someone asked me a, a leader who I admire. And the first thing that came to my head was John Mackey. And I said, you know, certainly I don't know all the ins and outs of, of him, but he had led this organization for so long with so much passion and never really steered from that mission, which I, I would imagine being an employee there, you felt that. Would love to hear anything on that topic. For someone who never intended to have a career at Whole Foods Market and who had seen the company from the competitive lens, I can tell you, I had no idea the depth of love and commitment that John built this company with. And it's why 21 years later, I'm still here. It is a collection of people who are so incredibly dedicated to creating a better world for all of us to live in. And that can mean environmentally, it can mean from a health standpoint. And for those of us who are team members or employees at Whole Foods, it just means the way that we get to interrelate 
with our stakeholders, people like you. It's all a big family and it really is very, very special. That's amazing. So where, of your 21 years, at what point did the idea for Whole Kids come into play and how did that idea come about? Well, you know, it actually came from something that you just mentioned, which was John's focus. Back in like 2008, 2009, John really wanted to return to a focus on health at Whole Foods Market. And at the time I was working in marketing and, you know, we all sort of looked around and said, okay, how do we connect health to what we're doing? And it was back to school time. And we thought, okay, we can help connect Whole Foods Market shoppers with the importance of what kids are eating at school because 10, almost 11 years ago, school food was truly fast food. Here in Austin, Texas, where I'm based, there was literally a jack-in-the-box in the cafeteria of the closest high school. So I think people needed to know that. So we started to just educate shoppers and team members about the importance of school food. And it resonated so deeply with those two audiences that the work got out of hand. It just grew and grew and grew. So I was leading marketing by day and making grants at night. And I was like, oh, we should probably solve this for real. <laughs> and back then, what Whole Foods did was they voted. It's a very egalitarian culture. So we, we took the challenge before the leadership group and said, you know, here's this great work we're doing. You know, do we want to draw a smaller box and just do what we can do very well? Do we want to hire somebody or do we want to do something else? And of course, at Whole Foods, something else always wins. And that something else was start a new foundation to do the work with integrity and to really grow the scope. So I like to give credit to Whole Foods Market's shoppers and team members for really supporting the idea that became a Whole Kids Foundation. Wow. And was that the first foundation that Whole Foods had ever created or that they were doing other work elsewhere? Yeah, you know, it wasn't. John has always led from his heart and been very open with his passions. So about five years earlier, he decided to manifest two of those passions into foundations. So one of them is still operating as exactly as it was born, Whole Planet Foundation, which okay. focuses on alleviating uh, global poverty through microfinance. They are now working in over 80 countries uh, in the developing world and in the U.S. And it's just amazing work. The other foundation he created at that time was called the Animal Compassion Foundation. And he wanted to create standards for humanely raised animal species. And that organization now exists today as the Global Animal Partnership. He realized that if it stayed close to Whole Foods, other retailers might not be willing to adopt the standards. So he allowed that organization to become completely independent and now they have created standards for so many species that are used in all sorts of retail outlets. That's amazing. He was really just such a visionary. Yeah. And, you know, from his passions came this method of creating foundations to do really deep work. So, you know, it existed when the customers and team members said, hey, this other work is really important to us. And I think that's a credit to Whole Foods for being able to listen to all of its stakeholders and really embrace the work that people feel like is ours to do. 
Yeah, absolutely. It's incredible. What would you say is one of the biggest lessons that, you know, it sounds like there's probably a ton of lessons and a ton of amazing work that's been done over the years. What are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned being there, either from John or just from the culture in general? You know, oh, so many lessons from Whole Foods. I will say in the the space of philanthropy that I have gotten to work in for the last 10 years, the idea and the principle of being responsive to the communities that we serve, I think is probably the lesson that I hold most dear in my heart today. The idea that if we are truly going to make lasting change, we have to start with the ideas and the solutions that are born in the community we want to work in. We're not going to have the idea. The community already knows what will work and what they need is the support to create those ideas and turn them into solutions. So being responsive, whether it's to my team of, of employees, team members, or being responsive as a foundation to Whole Foods Market, and then ultimately in our philanthropic work, being responsive to the audiences that we serve, I think is, uh, is just a beautiful philosophy to follow. Yeah, absolutely. So diving in a little bit more and in deeply into whole kids, that's just kind of take a step back. And certainly you were wanting to educate and there was this need, but if you want to share a little bit about like, why? Why whole kids? I get Yeah, like why time. nutrition for kids matters. And obviously there's so many different areas that that conversation could go into why it matters, but would love to hear from your sure. perspective, you know, what's so, kind of at the heart of it for you guys. At whole kids, our, our aim is to change the way we feed kids. So we want to improve children's nutrition by supporting schools and inspiring families. And the reason that that matters, especially supporting schools, is that what a student eats has an impact on the education of every student in that classroom and school. So if you can imagine how a student that hasn't had quality calories may behave in a classroom, um, that's going to call some attention away uh, from other students. So it's really important that as a parent, I feed my kid the most nutritious meal that I can, but that I do what I can to make sure that every student has the very best nutrition, because we know that that means that our students are better able to learn. All of the data tells us that today. So, so that's the statistical why. The humanitarian why is that this is the next generation of leaders that we are all relying on, and they need to have every chance to reach their greatest potential. And that all, believe it or not, starts with food. I always like to sign my emails, love and veggies, because I think those are the two main ingredients to a happy, healthy kid. They have to have love. It can come from parents. It can come from teachers. It can come from aunts, uncles, grandmas. And then they need those vegetables. I love that. Yeah. I mean, I my motto for sure is you are what you eat. And that is so true, starting with that foundation for kids of like, if if you're not learning about about that, have the access to it. It truly affects the outcome of your life and your community. Absolutely. It's just, it's a, it's a, a, a ripple effect that, yeah. you know, all too often we, we can't see the extent that what we learn about food or don't learn about food early in life has on everything we do. 
So those are the main kind of mission points. And huh? now if you could talk a little bit, of, or not a little bit, a lot about going <laughs> into what the programs look like and yeah. how you guys sort of decided of this component of doing garden, this is this works versus salad bar or something else. Exactly. So our primary work has reached more than 10 million kids over the past 10 years. And that includes providing salad bar equipment and training to schools, funding school gardens, and educating teachers about healthy eating. So that's sort of the basics of what we do. Beyond that, now we're engaged at the systemic level, working to make scratch cooking the best way to improve nutrition and make sure that it's something that's attainable for school districts. So we work both work on the very simple level of funding a school garden or implementing a salad bar, but then we're really deeply involved in this lasting change so that every meal at school can be the very best nutrition it can be. So let's dive into each three of those buckets. Sure. So starting with salad bar and how you either discovered through trial and error <laughs> or just knew that, hey, if we have this equipment and provides that, like, why is that going to change a kid's eating? Why in the world a salad bar will be- And I guess the, the two-pronged question to that might also be, how can we take though this, your answer in learning and think and apply it to someone at home to say, yeah. here's how I can, you know, make a, a change to my kid's eating? So 11 years ago, when we spoke up with a strong voice and said, we want to put salad bars in every school, people thought we were crazy. Um, and to be fair, I think we probably were. However, 10 years later, what we know is that implementing a salad bar in a school cafeteria is the most efficient, effective way to improve fruit and vegetable consumption among our kids. It increases by 33%. Well. Now, when you realize that the salad bar equipment that we provide costs about $4,000, serves 500 students 175 days a year for 10 years, it's an incredibly high return on investment. So that's the business geek in me. <laughs> um, but, and, and it's a fast change. You know, once a school district has decided to implement a salad bar, as soon as it's in the cafeteria, it increases access to fresh, healthy fruits and vegetables for those students. So the next question we get is, yeah, but you're gonna throw it all away because the kids won't eat it. I can today tell you that that is absolutely false. So the most important ingredient that we deploy in getting kids to eat fresh, healthy fruits and vegetables is choice. And you can use that at school and you can use that at home. So immediately, what happens when you put a salad bar in a cafeteria and allow students to choose among a bunch of healthy options is that they make the choices that they will eat. So it's a wonderful way to expose students to things that they've never seen. And positive peer pressure really does take effect. I've seen it time and time and time again. You know, I've had students say, oh, I never liked broccoli at home, but my friend got broccoli off the salad bar and it's really tasty. <laughs> um, so it's both that choice and that positive peer pressure that uh, creates that instantaneous effectiveness. So we talk to parents about use choice at home. That can be letting your kids participate in making the shopping list. 
in going to the grocery store and getting to pick out, you know, among the healthy choices, no, not the yucky stuff at the bad registers, but you know, when you're, when you're in the granola aisle, give your kids the agency to pick what they would like, let them choose meals. There are always ways that we as adults can make a, a, a student or a child's healthy a favorite meal healthier. So we can play that role. So yeah, I, we encourage parents all the time to set up a salad bar at home. You know, sometimes when I make a salad the way I want it, it's not the way that my husband or my son will want it. So instead I save myself the work. I put all the ingredients on the kitchen island. I hand everybody a big bowl and they make their own. Um, and I find less food waste at home as do our schools. I think even to that, it's, it's seeing the ingredients. Yeah. I just got inspired to like redo or not redo, but like really clean up my um, refrigerator and get nice glass jars so that I could chop up my ingredients, prep it for the week and see it. And I've already realized in the last week, like I've consumed so many more fruits and vegetables because they're out, they're visible, they're not in my bottom drawer. And so it's really giving you, it's coming back to that choice, but it's also that accessibility to see it and make it easy. You know, that is one of the key tips that we teach teachers. Like our teachers are more pressed for time and budget than anybody on the planet. So, you know, we really encourage them when you shop to, to make time to come home and prep those ingredients so that when it's time to cook, half the work is done. And to your point, it's easier to see what you have. And, you know, I always feel silly for saying this, but I have worked in the food business my whole entire life. And I've always been frustrated when the berries get fuzzy. Well, if you wash them and put them in a mason jar with an airtight lid, they last so much longer. So it's sort of all benefit uh, in terms of what you can do to make healthy food the easy choice. The easy choice and to last and not have waste and make, you know, right. we waste. I think the statistic is like 40% of our food. So yeah. you make that dollar stretch that much further. Okay. So that was point number one. Two was moving on to school gardens. Well, you know, after we realized that salad bars were incredibly effective, we looked at what's next. And, you know, so many of our schools had gardens, but were really struggling for support. So Whole Kids came to supporting school gardens, both because they're a wonderful complement to a salad bar, but often they're a great starting point. So a school garden is a decision that a principal can make where a salad bar really needs district support. And we like to have all of those different entry points. So what, what is we, harder for you guys? Or it's you know, neither one is hard for us. What we work hard to do is align with our school's goals. So it all depends on, on which school and where they are. What we saw with school gardens is was something that we knew anecdotally is that when you grow food, you know food. And what we discovered through our experience is the effect that that has on our kids. So we know empirically that when a kid grows a food plant, and that can be an herb or a carrot, it doesn't matter, that they are willing to try a list of 24 fruits and vegetables. Wow. So it's, it's the exposure to nourishing and understanding where your food comes from that opens up this curiosity 
And that's the other secret ingredient we use is, is that natural curiosity that kids have to try new and different foods. And often we find that that curiosity works on our students and they take it home to their parents. I get so many comments from parents about, my, my student came home and asked about fennel. We've never had a fennel, you know? So it's, it's a really great way to broaden a kid's exposure to different fruits and vegetables that they might not have had and just start a great discussion. I just started planting a garden myself. I don't know how it's going to turn out. I'm going from seed to planting right now and hopefully we just survive. We're about to get snow here in Colorado. So Mother Nature, this is this is a challenging year to start gardening. We sort of give that disclaimer. We just did an event with Whole Foods Market team members a couple of weeks ago where we taught people to sprout seeds and then transplant them into soil so that they could grow up into seedlings. And we provided supplies so that they could both do that for their home gardens, but then they uh, grew out at least 10 seedlings for a school garden that we donated them to. And people loved it. I had so many people tell me I was always intimidated to try and grow food. But, you know, we always talk about in gardening, there's no such thing as failure. There's only experimentation because mother nature is such a big factor. I had an outrageously good year last year with tomatoes. This year, I got no tomatoes. I don't know what's going on. It's, you know, it's just an experiment. Oh, well, that's my philosophy. I think about everything. It just, you got to try it, experiment. There's no downside for, there's no failure. It's just always an experiment. That's it. We, we always say fail forward, fail quickly, get your learnings and keep going. Exactly. Okay. So the third pillar is this scratch cooking. Yeah. So what we've learned and, and, you know, it really took us a good five years working in school food is that a salad bar really affects lunch and a school garden can have a great emotional and philosophical impact on our kids. But too many students are getting all of their daily calories at school. So there are more than 30 million students that eat school meals 175 days a year. And, and for many kids, that's their main source of calories. So what we want to do is affect the entire system of food in schools. And what we found is helping schools move to scratch cooking is the most efficient and effective way to do that. It gets out of all of the processed ingredients that have all of the, the muck that weighs our kids down and, and creates unhealthy habits and exposes kids to real food. We're not talking about fine dining food. We're just talking about an actual piece of chicken instead of a chicken nugget. And it's really work that we have to do with we, the adults. We're responsible for providing the choices that our kids have. And too many of us have just fallen into this mindset where there is kid food. Chicken nuggets are not kid food. Yeah. They are processed food. Chicken is kid food and kids love it. So yeah, we're really working to support school districts to make that transition because it then affects every meal. Many students eat breakfast, lunch, snack, and supper at school. And when we fix the system, then we've really fixed the challenge. So how difficult then from that lens is, is 
my next question was going to be in general, but maybe going to be more specifically on the scratch cooking. What have been some of the challenges that you guys have had trying to change or help change and move? I mean, obviously there's the monetary piece, but then there's training the the chefs, getting the kids to eat it. I mean, so many complexities to it. So I think that, you know, the, the main challenges that we see with scratch cooking in schools, the first is helping people understand what we mean, you know, and why, why actual cooking of real food makes a, a, an impact on nutrition. So education. Second is infrastructure. You know, so many of our schools don't have kitchens. They, you know, have been heat and serve operations. So it's helping to rework the infrastructure. And then the third piece is the human capacity. Leaders who know food, who can prepare food and can support teams that are working with real food. So we have programs and support that we're doing to work on all three of those areas. And primarily we're doing this with small to mid-sized school districts. One, because there are more of them in our country than there are the great big ones or the, the very, very small ones. But also we've learned that we can help make that change in about three years, which seems like a very long time. But when you're talking about change in public education, it's warp speed. Yeah, for sure. So as different schools come on board, what does that process look like for either them coming to you, you finding them? Sure. So Whole Kids Foundation has a grant program called Get Schools Cooking that opens every 18 months and allows small to medium school districts to apply for this three-year support. It's generally about a quarter of a million dollar investment. Some of that is in technical assistance. Some of that is in equipment support. We adapt to where our school districts are. It's a really comprehensive program. And not only do we provide support, but we, we create a cohort. So we help that school district get to know other school districts that are making the same kinds of changes so they can support one another. So that's one way that we engage. It's, it's the deepest way. We're also involved in a project called Scratchworks which is creating a mentorship program. So school districts and school district leaders can raise their hand and say, you know, I have a goal to implement salad bars. Can I have a mentor that will help me overcome some of those challenges? Or, hey, I have salad bars and now I really wanna change my procurement strategy to move toward more local or whatever the individual challenges are helping to create that human support so that we're mentoring this next generation of leaders that will feed our kids. Where, where do you think, I mean, certainly you've been doing this now for 10 years and I'm curious to hear how things have evolved just maybe more generally in school nutrition and accessibility for kids in, you know, being more open to eating better foods. Like hopefully we're, we're, seeing things progress, but at the same time, we've had, you know, the last two years of not being in school and all of those difficulties and headwinds as well. You know, if there's any one thing you can count on, it's change. And certainly we see that in schools and school food. So I think that the two things I would cite that have been enormous evolutions. One, Gen Z, is the first generation of foodies born in 50 years. That's great news for you. <laughs> it, it's, it's really impactful for school food. 
These are students who have access to more food information because they have digital devices than any of our previous generations. So while they may not have access to actual good, healthy food, they have this incredible awareness of dishes from cultures that they've never visited. And, you know, all of the, the food programming has really created a generation that is food curious. So I think, you know, we as adults have to realize that, that this coming generation has a food aptitude that we may be unprepared for. And that's good news for school food because our students are actually our customers. They're, they're making asks and demands for better food. I think the other big change and, you know, I, gosh, I just hope we don't ever have to live through another experience like the pandemic, but I am sort of a chronic optimist and I, I, I just insist on finding the silver linings. And one of those is that I think the pandemic helped the nation and maybe the world realize how important school food is. You know, when kids couldn't get to school, all of a sudden, you know, even parents of privilege realize that it meant that students may not have access to meals that are really important to their livelihood and their health. So, you know, we could work for the next 10 years and not have created that awareness. So I'm, I'm really appreciative that that level of awareness exists and the opportunity and the challenge that we have is to do something with it now. So we're engaged in lots of education and inspiration for parents, teaching parents how to advocate for better school food in their communities and working to advocate with our uh, elected officials that we continue some things that have really worked like universal free meals at school. We could, we could delve deeply into why that's a good idea, but, but it means that so many more students who need school food are able to get it without the red tape that had previously been required. So I would, I would say those are the two big changes. And as you think about the opportunities ahead, what does that look like for Hope Kids? Like what's next that you're wanting to, to do or to explore and further opportunities? Well, Hope Kids is, you know, we will continue to focus on salad bars and school gardens because we know they work and we'll have an equal, if not greater focus on this systemic change. Because if we can change the systems, then we can start to look at other areas and other problems to solve. Outside of that, something I'm really excited about is, you know, we had seen this trend prior to the pandemic, and it is still true today, that 70% of students in middle and high school want to start their own business. That's their wow, view Wow, that's success. an incredible statistic. I know. So we thought if we can find the 20% of the 70% that care about food or health, and support them in their journey, we will then be contributing the next generation of leaders and possibly product manufacturers and inventors. So we had a pilot designed in 2020 um, that we launched anyway, because we thought if kids were entrepreneurial before, they certainly will still be, you know, while they're from home. And it is just so amazing to see the innovative spirit and the, the resilience of our students so we got to know a bunch of students who either had a business idea or had already started a business. Um, and then we got to fund a lot of programs that are teaching entrepreneurial skills to students. So that's definitely in our future. We're gonna, we have continued the pilot, but we're really anxious to grow it. 
That's so cool. I love that. That I can't believe that that statistic is so high. That's really well, exciting. It it is super exciting, especially you know in the the climate that we're in, and you know what's what's interesting about that entrepreneurial spirit among students today is that far too many students don't have a role model in their lives, um, which is where we feel like if we can leverage relationships with people like you that are successful, we can sort of be a surrogate role model for students and, and show them that that is a very realistic dream. Totally. And especially, I mean, Whole Foods has served that for me. I mean, I, I, in a, certainly in a different way, but, um, you know, I think the overall back to the original conversation or earlier conversation, just the culture and the environment there of supporting the community. Yeah. I think I, I felt so nurtured early on by it, so. And I think, you know, kids today, they have access to so much more technology than ever before that we're seeing that students realize they don't have to wait to start their businesses. You know, we have students that have started businesses at 10 or 11 or 12 while they're in school. And when they graduate, you know, they, they are the CEO of their companies. And it's just, it's so joyous to see the pride they take in creating jobs and economic growth. Like they really understand the impact and importance of that contribution. That's so cool. So for listeners at home, two things I would love for them to take away. One is how they can support Whole Kids Foundation. And then secondly, any other tips for helping to change their kids' eating habits at home? Awesome. Well, um, if you are interested or intrigued by Whole Kids' work, there are lots of ways that you can, uh, can support. Of course, we are a nonprofit, so you're always welcome to make a donation. But really, I would say dive into the content on our website and depending on your interest, either use it with your own family. So we have some great lessons called Better Bites, and they encourage families to just pick one little change to make in how you eat as a family to get the most nutrition out of every bite. And once you make that one change, then pick another change. You know, it can be something like incorporating oats uh, into your diet in new ways or, you know, ways to eat a rainbow at every meal. So we've got lots of support there. We've got a great book club if you have uh, elementary age kids and you like to read. We've got great reading guides to help you get the most out of a book in terms of vocabulary. And there's even activities to do. So dive into some of that information. If you have schools that you care about, help them know about our grant programs. If they might like a salad bar or a school garden grant or even a beehive. We do a lot of education around the importance of our pollinators. And then if you are a parent that has the energy to really influence your school or school district, we have a parent advocacy toolkit that can help you learn a little bit more about school food and know where to start. That's wonderful. Thank you for all those tools. So tips on helping your kids eat better at home or change those habits. So just in case you think it's not possible, I was the world's most picky eater. Um, and here I am an advocate for fruits and vegetables. So, you know, we talked about choice. Um, giving kids choice at home is probably the first and best place to start. Another option that I used when my son was little was kitchen homework. Look at your, your uh, child's homework. If it's math or science or reading, 
chances are you can do it in the kitchen. I will never forget. I think it was third grade that my son was doing arrays. Of course, I had no idea what that was. It's rows and columns. So we decided to make bake cookies together and he uh, lined them up in rows and columns on the cookie sheet. And that satisfied his homework requirement. So he really became an enthusiast for doing his homework in the kitchen. And that was a lot of fun for me too. You know, engage them when you're meal planning and shopping, make the grocery store an adventure. I know it's a chore sometimes, but if you approach it as an adventure, both for yourself and your kids, it can be a lot of fun. Grow food together. That's the easy one. Just plant a seed. It's so magical to see one seed result in hundreds of pounds of tomatoes or, you know, oregano is a great thing to plant with kids because it's the pizza herb. I can't tell you how many kids come to my house. I have now planted oregano in my front yard so that they can always have access to the pizza herb. And then, you know, I would say, speak to kids with respect. They are, they are small humans. They do understand they're super smart. And if you spend a little bit of time on the why you'll find that they don't resist as much. So, you know, in, in my growing up, it was, you sat at the table until you cleaned your plate, but nobody ever told me why that was a good idea. And I'm one of those kids. If you tell me why I'm much more cooperative. And then I think the other thing I always remind parents that, that I learned way too late in life is that kids taste buds are constantly regenerating about every two weeks. Your, your child has a new set of taste buds, wow. which is why that repetition is so important. I know they might've hated broccoli last week. Serve it again in two weeks. Their taste buds will change. You'll be amazed. I think the, the uh, standard research is it takes 10 to 12 times that you serve a, a child a new food before they'll try it. And it's not because they're stubborn. Well, sometimes maybe, maybe. But, but it's usually because their taste receptors are, are just changing so rapidly that, that it's not a match and it, it will be at some point. There's always hope, it sounds like. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you. Those are great tips. So we are going to move on to some rapid fire QA. Okay. The best advice that you've gotten in the last six months. Oh, goodness. You know, I think conversations are free. I have gotten to meet so many amazing people and just learned so many important things from the willingness to talk to just about anybody. Uh, that wants to have a conversation. So that's the piece I love. A favorite book or podcast or mentor for growth? Uh, well, I love your podcast, so that's <laughs> easy. You. I will say, uh, gosh, I think I have three favorite books right now. There is a book called How the Word is Passed by Clint Smith. It is uh, he visited seven significant locations related to the history of slavery in America, and he just tells a powerful story. Uh, if you're into audiobooks, I would recommend it. He's a spoken word artist, and he oh. reads the book. It's just fantastic. I'm from Austin, Texas, so I, I have to uh, hit a few hometown authors. Green Lights by Matthew McConaughey is a super fun read. If you're a football fan, I'm just enamored with Emmanuel Acho. He was a, a player at the University of Texas for the Longhorns. And he has a bunch of books and podcasts, but his latest Illogical is really inspirational. And of course, you know, Brene Brown. Gotta, gotta give her some props too. She's great. Three things that you're currently loving. Oh, anything. Okay. 
So I ordered on accident from the online source, dried diced figs. Um, I am a religious eater of oatmeal. I have had oatmeal for breakfast for probably the last 10 years. And if I have to try I, our new oatmeal, it's the, it, it, well, is there a new, new one? I love There's the one, new one that's coming to Whole Foods. Yes. And I will try it. Yeah. Yeah. So I use my oatmeal in the morning as a conduit for the colors that I'm bad at eating. And for me, that's blues and purples. So it's always blueberries and these diced dried figs are out of this world. Your cranberry pecan granola with some yogurt is an awesome snack. I just discovered this, uh, it's from Oracacia. It's an essential oil called creative juice Ooh. that you put in the little diffusers. And it's bergamot, citrus, and cardamom. And I love cardamom. Yeah. Um, and then there's this fantastic tea from a little tiny shop in Seattle called B Fuller's. And it's a juniper sage tea. So you can see all the things I love are like really zen. <laughs> I love it. What do you want more of in your life? Oh, goodness. I would like more meaningful conversations like this one. What do you want less of? I would love less email and less <laughs> rework. A meal, and this is a good one as a foodie, a meal that you'll never forget. Oh, this is unfair. This is like pick your favorites. You can pick two if you want to. So um, I work with so many amazing food people. But the one I'm thinking of is um, very early in Whole Kids history, I had to go to a meeting in Traverse City. Of course, I had never been there, so I had no idea how gorgeous it is. And when my son was younger, he used to travel with me a lot because that's how a mom manages. And as a reward for being great with his caretakers while I worked, we always would go on an adventure. And this particular time, I, he wanted to go fishing. So we went trout fishing on Lake Michigan oh, wow. um, in just that beautiful setting. And then we took the fish we caught over to Chef Beth Collins' house, where she and Chef Abe Cooper, two of our school food leader heroes, turned that trout into the most delicious uh, sashimi served on a block of Himalayan sea salt. Oh or Himalayan salt. And it was just it, soup to nuts. Like, I don't know what the, it's, that's not farm to table. That's lake to table. Um, it was a great food experience as a foodie, but it was an amazing experience for him because he got to really understand where that fish came from. He got to see amazing women in the kitchen, transforming it into this deliciousness. And then to pay me back, we had to buy a Himalayan salt block to take home on the plane. And those are heavy. They're, they're, you know, they're 20 pounds. Right. I think that's the one I'm remembering today anyway. That sounds heavenly. Okay. So not to put you on the spot, but outside of purely Elizabeth, if there was one item that you could buy only one item at Whole Foods, what would it be? Now, this is kind of that if you could only eat one thing. Right. You could eat other things. So this isn't like the thing that you only have the rest of your life. Okay, but, but one thing only... and I would have to buy. Yeah. Um, okay. This is going to be tough. It's not tough. Okay. I would buy ginger. Oh. So I absolutely, my, my morning ritual is a cup of uh, home brewed chai with a little bit of honey from my beehives. 
And that just starts my day in the right way. And being the experimentress I am, I planted ginger last year thinking I use all this fresh ginger in my chai. It is not worth the effort. I am so <laughs> happy to pay people that do that well to grow ginger for me. So I think that would be my choice. That tea sounds pretty delicious. Well, you live in Boulder, the home to Bhakti Chai, which is one of the best. I just can't get it here. So I had to, it took me two years to try and engineer something close. That's so funny. <laughs> and last question, the rapid fire. What is your number one non-negotiable to thrive on your wellness journey? Oh my goodness. Well, my number one non-negotiable is oatmeal for breakfast. It just sets me up for as healthy a day as I can have. It's a great way to incorporate fresh fruits and even vegetables. A little cinnamon in your day is, is really health supportive. And just a, a couple of nuts to give you that protein boost. Um, you know, if, if my morning doesn't start with oatmeal, by 11 o'clock, I'm just ravenous. So I, I find that unlike some people who can fast in the mornings, uh, that's my secret to success. So I love it. Well, we, we do have a mixed berry, strawberry, blueberry, raspberry oatmeal with prebiotics coming to Whole Foods. So that will be coming to you soon. I can't wait. So in closing, thank you so much for being here. Anything that we haven't touched on that you want to share or any last parting words? You know, I think that the thing that has made whole kids successful in this really big, really challenging topic of how we feed our kids is a spirit of collaboration. Competition is too slow. We tend to find organizations that have similar goals and values and share everything so that we can all move faster together. And to get to partner with an organization like yours is really just the secret to success. So we're deeply, deeply grateful for not only your commitment to health, but your support of our work as well. Oh, well, thank you so much. Thank you for all the work that you're doing. And we are just so happy to be supporting it. Thanks so much for being on today. Absolutely. And if your listeners have any thoughts, suggestions, or questions, we, we are responsive. So you may have a great idea and uh, we would love to hear about it. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I hope that you will have a very healthy journey ahead. Wonderful. Thanks so much for joining me on Live Purely with Elizabeth. I hope you feel inspired to thrive on your wellness journey. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to rate, subscribe, and review. You can follow us on Instagram at purely underscore Elizabeth to catch up on all the latest. See you next Wednesday on the podcast.